congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians with prayer and love, and he ends it in the same way. And as we consider this morning those final verses of the epistle, I want to take a few moments to recap what he has said from chapter 1 onwards. He begins in chapter 1, showing us that our salvation is from eternity, that our salvation is dependent on the sovereign electing love of God in Christ, that electing love which he has lavished upon us. And then he goes on in chapter 2 to show us what that looks like in space and time. The gospel comes to dead sinners and raises them to new life by the power of the Spirit. And so we are made alive in Christ. And so from every tribe and language and nation and ethnicity, God brings to himself dead sinners made alive in Christ. He unites these believers in one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And this unity is in Christ, and this unity is growing and deepening through the ministry of the Word of God, through the Word and the sacraments. And then this chosen and called, redeemed, and united body of believers is the kingdom of light. We no longer sleepwalk in the kingdom of darkness and the works of the flesh falling from one sin into another. But in the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we live lives filled with the Word of God, filled with thanksgiving, and filled with a joy and delight in living according to the will of God in all things. And that means that we take our places. We embrace our office and calling in the kingdom of God. And then Paul develops that as he shows how that looks, what that looks like in the creational ordinances of marriage and family and work, the most basic things of human existence. And then he calls us, as we saw in previous sermons, he calls us to stand firm in Christ, to stand firm in our office and calling. No matter how many waves of attack come upon us from the kingdom of darkness, we stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of his might because we are clothed with the armor of God. And then he comes now to verses 18 through to 24, the final words of the epistle. And at first glance, we might be tempted to dismiss these words. Why would we have a sermon on some parting words, some final greetings, some mentions of brother so-and-so and, and things like that? Why should we have a sermon on these verses? We need to understand that every scripture is God-breathed and is profitable and useful to build us up in our faith and in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Spirit has to say to the churches, also these last verses of Ephesians. And I summarize these verses under this theme that 
the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to stand together in spirit-filled prayer and love. And you see that in verse 18. See how much emphasis, once again, there is on prayer. Praying, verse 18. Praying when? At all times. Praying how? In the Spirit. And when the Scripture says in the Spirit, it means in the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we stand praying. Praying in Christ. Praying by the power of His Spirit that we might continue to stand. You see, all things hold together in Christ. And that's why we cry out to Him to hold everything together, to hold us together, to hold our lives together, to hold our marriages and families and congregation together, because we know that we can only stand together in Him. And so we constantly pray for that, praying at all times, says the apostle. The Christian life is a life of constant unceasing prayer. An army that will be victorious is an army that has good communications. And there are lots of messages sent from the front lines to the general who is coordinating things back on the third line. And the requests are for reinforcements. The, the requests are for reinforcements to, to hold the line of battle. The requests are for supplies and for support. And that's what a prayerful life looks like, where we're asking God to help us stand firm together. The apostle says, with all prayer and supplication, that means every type of prayer and petition and thanksgiving, a great variety of prayers in a great variety of needs and situations. Prayers for help. Prayers for God to act mightily. Prayers for God to intervene. Prayers for God to supply. But also prayers of worship and praise and thanksgiving and joy and thankfulness. And so the Christian life cannot be a life which is deficient in prayer. It cannot be a life of rote prayer where we just mumble the same words every day at the same times. That's not what it is to be a spirit-filled Christian. Making supplication, says the apostle, for all the saints. And that means not just for our needs, but we understand that we are part of something bigger. We stand together as the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. If one brother or sister gives way, that makes a hole in the ranks, and the enemy can exploit that. If one unit gives way, that affects us. And if we give way, that affects others. And so in our prayers, we understand that we stand together. We stand together in prayer, and we pray for one another, and we pray with one another. And that's something perhaps that needs work in our congregation. Do we pray with one another? Is that something we could develop 
more, not just in church, but during the week. You see, that's what an awake Christian does. He keeps alert, and that means he keeps awake with all perseverance. A prayerless life or a life of dead rote prayer, a life of self-centered prayer for just my needs and wants is something which is of the darkness, which is of the sleep of sin and death and everything that belongs to it. The Christian is called to be woke in the proper sense of the word, to be awake to be alert, to be aware, to be actively attentive with all perseverance, staying on track, staying awake, and understanding the need of the hour for us and for others, making supplication for all the saints, says the apostle. That means we care what happens to our brothers and sisters, but we also care not just for the church local, we care for the church Catholic, the church around the world as well. In a war, you want to know the news. You want to know the latest reports from the front. If you're at war, if your country's at war, if your people are at war, you want to know what's going on. Where is the enemy? Where are our troops? Where is the front line? What is the progress of our army? What are the victories and defeats in battle? In a war, when our country's at war, Everything is focused on that war. We, we rally the support. We, we rally troops and, and supplies, and, and we buy victory bonds, and we plant victory gardens, and we, we send encouragement to the people, the troops on the front line, and, and care packages to them. Because even though we're far from the front line sometimes, the progress of the war is intensely personal to us and intensely important to us. And so that's what you see in the church in our prayer life as well, not just in, in a focus on our needs and our wants and our little lives, but our prayers are situated in the great cosmic battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so that's why Paul says when we're praying for all the saints, pray for the missionaries. Pray for him. He's on the front lines there. Look at verse 19. Also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is in Rome. Paul is in prison. What is his prayer request? We would expect his prayer request to be saying this, pray that I might be released. It's not what he asks for here. He doesn't ask for freedom right here. But he asks for strength to use his current circumstances for the advance of the gospel. You see, Paul and he said it elsewhere, Paul might be chained, but the gospel is not chained. And when the gospel advances, the kingdom of God advances. And so Paul embraces the providence of God and his imprisonment for the sake of the advance of the gospel. And so in verses 21 and 22, he comments on the fact that he's sending a report from the front lines back to God's people. He's sending Tychicus, the beloved brother, and faithful minister in the Lord. And when he says Tychicus is a beloved brother and faithful minister, that's an attestation. He's attesting to who he is and how he is to be received by the church to which he is coming. 
And in these verses, 21 and 22, we see that the church stands together in that great cosmic battle between darkness and light, the gospel versus the lie, and Paul is sending Tychicus with reports from the field of battle. He says, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Because God's people care. We want to know how the battle is going. We want to know how it is with the army in other places. What encourages God's people is not that Paul is free, but that Paul is preaching, and that the word is going forth with power. And so the Ephesians care to hear what is going on. Do we care? How much attention do we pay to the missions that we support? In northern BC and in Brazil, how much do we lift it up in prayer? I can start with myself. I don't think that I've done it enough in the last two and a half years that I've been here. And I wonder if that's something that we need to work on as a congregation and as families. Do we care? And do we bring these things before the Lord in prayer enough? And then in verses 23 and 24, Paul ends with love. As he began the epistle with the eternal and infinite and sovereign electing love of God in Christ, he ends with love. Look there, verses 23 and 24, love with faith. Those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Three times the word love in those two verses. If we pray for one another, if we pray with one another, then it's very difficult to live at cross purposes. It is hard to hate someone you pray for. And if someone has offended you and if someone has hurt you and if somebody just irritates you and bothers you, the holy remedy for that is to pray for them. The Lord tells us even to pray for those who persecute us. How much more brothers and sisters who may have hurt us or with whom we are not experiencing a good relationship. It is hard to hate someone you pray for. And the more we pray for one another, the more we pray with one another, the more our hearts are knit together in Christ. He is the very incarnation of the love of God. And the more prayer means more united to Christ and more united in Christ and more knowledge of the love of God in him. And so this is the call of the apostle in our text, that we stand together in prayer, that we stand together in love. And that's how Paul ends the letter. A church full of prayer warriors, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, is a church which will know and experience deeply the love of God. A church drenched in prayer is a church saturated with the love of God. If we want more love, if we want more unity, the way to it is more 
prayer. And so we stand together in Christ, and the Spirit shows us the way. He pours peace into our hearts. He pours faith into our hearts. He pours love into our hearts. And in the power of the Spirit, we stand together in prayer and love. Love incorruptible, love imperishable, love immortal, love that never ends, love that overcomes, love that wins, the true love of God that wins. That's what we're celebrating this morning again. That's what we celebrate as we come to the table. And so come, Christian warriors, come. Let us delight together in the banquet of peace and love that King Jesus has set before us. Amen.